So I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling like today is a perfect day to bring back home the conversation of body image, body acceptance, self-love, and disordered eating recovery. And there is no other guest I would want to have to talk about this profound conversation with other than Dr. Anita Johnston. She is a depth psychologist, and she's also the author of Eating in the Light of the Moon, which has been published in six languages. She is the co-creator of the online course Light of the Moon Cafe, which is an interactive workbook and women's support circle for eating in the light of the moon. She has been working in the field of women's issues, feminine spirituality, and disordered eating for over 35 years and is a thought leader in understanding the feminine as it relates to struggles with eating and body image. She is currently the clinical director of IPONO eating disorder programs in Hawaii, including a residential treatment program in Maui. Dr. Johnston provides individual consultations online, conducts soul hunger workshops and women's circles, as well as professional trainings around the world. She is best known for her use of metaphor and the ancient wisdom found in storytelling, along with her training as a clinical psychologist to address the struggles of women's, their body, and relationships. This book is so juicy. I I share a little bit about my experience with first finding this book when I just started my my disordered eating recovery journey, but now that I have worked through a lot of those trials in my life, this book came to me when I am now diving deeper into this feminine conversation, as many of you know if you're if you're a fan of the show. But this book is filled with storytelling and metaphors that all link back to women and their relationship with their body. And it talks about how to come back to a place of accepting and loving and appreciating your body for how it is, body fat and all, and undoing a lot of the limiting beliefs that we women have around having different sized bodies than the ones we see on TV. But this book is just, it's its so engaging and it, it feeds a part of your soul that I don't think any other disordered eating recovery book, in my experience at least, uh, could feed uh, on a spiritual level, on a like, oh, wow, that clicks kind of level. So if you are someone who still struggles with body image, disordered eating, I mean, let's face it, all of us do at some extent, some level. This still pops up in our life because we see it on the media and in the news and our mom has it and our best friend has it and emotions can be difficult to balance and juggle and all the things. So this book is going to hold your hand through that process, through the process of recovery and self-acceptance and Not only that, but also seeing the beauty in your feminine body, in your feminine experience, in your sexuality, in your sensuality, in your creativity. And those are some of the things we talk about in today's episode. So that's all I want to share today. We don't have any announcements other than me introducing our awesome guest to you. And I am ready to go on and head on over to this exciting interview with Dr. Anita Johnston. You are now entering the Mind Body Musings podcast 
If you find yourself hungry for growth, eager for inspiration, and longing for self-improvement, welcome home. Hosted by motivational speaker and life coach Maddie Moon, you can be certain you will learn how to change your life in magical ways in each and every episode. Are you ready to stop caring what other people think? Is it time you break limiting beliefs and empower your whole being? Do you know how to use the one life you've been given to the absolute fullest? Join Maddie Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life altering discussions on freedom vulnerability abundance and so much more for more insight grab your free gift on maddiemoon.com and uncover your own once in a lifetime greatness within if you have kind words to say feel free to leave a review on the show in itunes or send your favorite episode to a friend we look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways and now without further ado here's your host maddie moon and we're back here with Anita Johnston, the author of Eating in the Light of the Moon, How Women Can Transform Their Relationships with Food Through Myths, Metaphors, and Storytelling. Oh my goodness. Anita, this book, um, it, it seems to have arrived in my life at the most perfect divine time. <laughs> I am in love with this book. It's so it's so interesting. Well, first of all, before I tell you, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And I'm glad the book arrived in the right time. <laughs> Sometimes I just jump right in. I'm just so excited and I forget to be like, okay, hold on. Let me say, let me let you say hi. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was going to tell you this off air, but this book, whenever I was going through my... I would say peak of body dysmorphia and orthorexia, and a little bit of anorexia and all the things. Um, I just remember sitting down in the self-help section of food and reading through all the books. And I remember seeing this book and thinking, oh, that looks, that looks too woo-woo for me. It's, it's, it's about the moon. That's like too feminine. And it's probably just, I'm not going to be able to understand it. So of course I reached for all these other books that were um, very clearly labeled intuitive eating or body dysmorphia or eating disorder or something like that, um, which is such a representation of where I was in my life at that time of this, oh, I need the facts. I need the, the to the point. Give me something that is in its essence straightforward. And that's how I really wanted to live a lot of my life was from this place of structure, logic, the masculine, no frills, no woo-woo. Keep me away from that. Um, and so I would do everything in my life to, to stick to the plan and be in my logical sense, even when it came to recovery. And so this book never ended up in my hands. And here it is now where my message is I, I've evolved over the past four and a half years to be more in the feminine and, and soften and the divine. And, and this, you sent me this book and I'm just, I'm just so grateful because I started reading it. I'm like, holy cow, like if only, I mean, everything happens for a reason, but if only I had gotten my hands on this four years ago, I would have woken up to the beauty of the feminine and the nurturing and, and the moonlight and the sensitivity so much sooner, I think. So long story short, I'm saying thank you for writing this extremely powerful and beautiful book. You're welcome. You know, it's, it's in my experience, and I've been, you know, I've been at this for a, a long time now, but, but what I found is that the, the people that I've worked with that have all sorts of eating difficulties are usually already so 
right and and know so much that if they could have thought their way out of their eating difficulties, they would have done it a long time ago. And and unless they stumble upon a, ha- a path that includes the heart, they just spin their wheels. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is so true. Mm-hmm. And so would you say that that's one of the things that's missing for so many women today is that they mm-hmm. go through a recovery process to heal their body image and, and mm-hmm. eventually accept and then maybe even love their body and, and heal their relationship with food. But a lot of them are still going at it from a, okay, give me a to-do list. Right. Right. So I can check it off. <laughs> and then and then I'll be, it's that sort of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? That kind of um, idea. And the, the problem is when you're in that space of wanting to check things off and, and get to the destination, there's not a lot of peace and joy. And so um, even if you get there, uh, you don't get the 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 calmness or the peacefulness or the joyfulness that, that you're really seeking. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is so true mm-hmm. because the journey mm-hmm. is, I mean, the journey is what makes up life. And whether you're recovered and you're just going about your day-to-day and you're going to work and you have a family, like you're still in the journey. You're in the journey mm-hmm. then, you're in the journey through recovery. And mm-hmm. who knows how long that journey of recovery and healing your body image is really going to last. So mm-hmm. from the start... As soon as you wake up to the need to, to enjoy the journey, you want to dive into that mm-hmm. and you want to learn how to be present throughout that process. Mm-hmm. That's why I use the metaphor of a labyrinth instead of a maze because most people when they're trying to break free from whatever it is they're struggling with in terms of eating and, and body image, they see it as a maze that they just got to get through it. They got to get through it. There's an in, there's an out, but along the way they have Uh, relapses, they're blocked, stuff gets in the way. And if they can shift to the metaphor of a labyrinth, that's a whole different story because with a labyrinth, there are no blocks. It's twisty, windy, turny path that can be confusing and overwhelming and frustrating. Um, But there are no blocks. If you just slow it down, put one foot in front of the other, you will find your way. But your way is not in and out. Your way is to the center of your being. And then from that place, you can navigate back out into the world using what you've learned along the way as you've gone in. And so it's a, it's a different, really a different perspective. And, and the, metaf- the labyrinth is, is an ancient uh, symbol for the path of life that many different religious traditions have used. So it, it really does work for the recovery path as well. Mm, that's a beautiful way to think about it. I love I love. The metaphors, I love the myths. I am so captivated through all your stories. Um, so my, so what I'm getting from from your work and and from the book and just hearing you talk is that there's a lot that we can learn from using our wisdom rather yes. than using knowledge because knowledge is yes. you know it's yeah. coming from the it's the external and we're gaining that we can gain knowledge but mm-hmm. wisdom is really mm-hmm. something that's innate. Right, you're 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 born with it, and um, you know all the myths teach us that they teach you know the Native Americans call it the medicine you were born with. The, the Greek myths tell us about um, how your fate leads you to your destiny. Um, there's all sorts of of ancient ways of knowing to tell us that the answers are inside, 
But we live in a world that is so externally focused that we don't even have a clue about that. So when things aren't going the way we want or when we're participating in behaviors that we don't like, we assume it's because there's something wrong with us. And that kind of gets you in the wrong, going in the wrong direction in terms of finding answers because the answers are within. There is an inner wise being um, that is archetypal to all of us. And I work a lot with archetypes because archetypes are to the psyche what genes are to the body. So, you know, in the field of epigenetics, we know now, we didn't used to know this, but now we know that most of our genes are not fixed. Uh, they, they have to be expressed in order for us to experience them. Um, so, for example, you may be born with the breast cancer gene, but you're not going to have breast cancer unless it gets expressed by either some kind of external event like a like a toxin or something or an internal event like a emotional distress and with with archetypes they are concepts that cross all culture and all time that we are born with but they need to be quickened in order for them to come into consciousness so carl jung who who created the term archetype basically he said if if we don't bring these strong forces into consciousness you know it, then they run our lives it's it's the difference between driving down a hill behind the wheel of a car uh, and driving down a hill in the trunk of that car it's a very different experience do you happen to have an archetype that might be at the forefront of your mind yeah. That can help people under, <laughs> to understand like an example of summoning yeah. this energy. Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, because it's the one I work with a lot with uh, eating disorders and eating difficulties and disordered eating and body image. So um, if you take the concept of mother, okay, um, what it's archetypal in that if you could go all the way back in time, you'd find that concept. And if you could go into the future, you'd find that concept. And if you could go to any planet, any culture on the planet, you're going to find that concept. It's universal. It's archetypal. We're already born with that concept. But here's where things get tricky. So um, just as Carl Jung said that um, someone who's struggling, say, with alcoholism, um, what's happening is the, the wires are getting crossed and really they're thirsty for spirit, but they're reaching for the spirits in the bottle. And Marion uh, Woodman said that for people struggling with eating difficulties, um, it's mother that they are hungry for. I take that a step further and call it mothering. It's an energy, not as an archetype is, not a, it's not, it's a verb, not a noun. So what happens for people that are struggling um, is that the wires get crossed and they reach for the concretization of a particular energetic signature pattern that they are wanting. So the, the signature pattern of mothering, and I'm not talking about mothers here, I'm talking about an energy of comfort and soothing and nurture. Now, what happens a lot of times is when we don't know any other way to soothe or comfort ourselves, and then we might turn to our biological mothers, and maybe they're not around, maybe they're not present, maybe they're not capable, um, uh, then we go, oh, well, I'm screwed. And so what happens then is we turn to the 
concrete, physical symbol of mothering energy, which is food. That's why we call it comfort food, right? We, we At some deep level, we understand that, and we all know the sensation of being in distress and then going, ah. In fact, most of us, our very first experience on the planet is in distress, ah, and then we're given the breast or the bottle. And so we go, oh, so that we know instinctively that, that um, food can work in that way. However... What happens is is when we concretize things, and we live in a very literal culture, so that typically is what happens, is then we continually reach for the concrete object, which really never gives us what it is we're really hungry for. Um, it's sort of like you can have a thousand American flags. Are you more free? <laughs> of course not, right? The flag is the symbol of freedom, not freedom itself. And so typically that's where I see this, this mm, struggle uh, can be for a lot of individuals. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I feel like I'm learning so much right now, which is a really beautiful experience for me mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. I, I've understood the archetypes on a very surface level, mm -hmm. but being able to make this correlation to something that I know is, yeah. has made such a big impact on my life, food, right. and also with the lives of a lot of my audience members, food mm -hmm. is a very sensitive thing. Mm -hmm. And many times we can look at our relationship with our mother to see, mm -hmm. oh, maybe your mother was someone that influence you to diet at a very young age mm -hmm. and so healing needs to happen there some forgiveness mm -hmm. some acceptance and then mm -hmm. reclaiming but mm -hmm. what we don't always do is look at that within ourselves that mothering right. energy that you're talking right. about right and the cool thing is and i i do a lot of work with individuals with this i i have a, a program the light of the moon cafe and we work with cultivating an inner mother, because sometimes you'll say, oh, great, so now I have to do it all myself, right? It's like one more thing, I got to do it all myself. And it's like, well, not quite, you see, because when you can create your own inner mother, she functions as an antenna that will draw you towards those that can give you mothering energy and, and attract those that can give it to you towards you. So mothering, you can get mothering energy from your dog, from your husband, um, from the nice person who lives next door, from Mother Nature. But you have to understand what that constellation feels like so that you can access it. And then, um, like I say, then you've got an antenna. You, you, can, you, know, you can recognize when it's around or, or know in which direction to go in order to get it, Do which is a pretty cool thing. Yeah, you think about it. It's so empowering because mm -hmm. you don't have to wait for anything in order to receive that. If you don't have a relationship with your mother, right, right, or uh, the relationship with, right, yeah, the mother it's, expired. It's not about yeah. It's not about blame or mm -hmm. or some people think, well, I didn't get it from my mother, so I'm screwed. It's like no, it's not like that. And here it gets even more intriguing to me because I can't help myself. My mind is just always going along these lines. So. I, I use a lot of fairy tales and stories in, in, in helping people to heal. And often in the fairy tales, they begin with the mother dies. It's like, wait, what? Why do we always have the mother dying? Well, because these fairy tales are representations of what goes on in our psyche. And for many of us, our inner mother is absent. And in fact, 
for every single one of us, what I have observed is that nobody, nobody gets the perfect mother, right? Um, we all are, we all have certain parts of our personality that we're born with, and sometimes it's not a good match. Some people get maybe a a, a, um, a more a better fit than others, but nobody ever has gotten the perfect mother that gives them everything they want, the way they want it, how they want it, when they want it, and none of the stuff they don't want, right? It doesn't happen. So, so the way my mind goes is like, well, wait a minute. If that's the case, that means it's archetypal, right? It doesn't, you know, and it's like, whose idea was that? And so then I have to think, well, okay, then why in the world is that? And I think the reason is, because that's our job. We have to create it. Why? Because we're the only ones that can. We're the only ones that know what's the perfect fit for us, that can provide us with the kind of mothering we need, as much as we need, as little as we need, when we want it, and none of the nonsense we don't want. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that's part of the deal here on this planet. Yeah, and it sounds like it's it's the, this theme of, Ending the quest of seeking permission externally. Right. Mother repeated. may I. Mother may mother I. Mother may I. Exactly. Well, mother. <laughs> exactly. So it's going to yourself first. And then maybe mm -hmm. on a more cultural uh, level, going to your diet coach or your trainer and always asking, can I have permission to have a cheat meal? Can I have a permission to do mm -hmm. this and that? And, and that mm -hmm. has to end. And yeah. so does the ending have to happen with even maybe asking our family members for permission and, and doing yeah, things our own way. There's nothing wrong with asking for help, but permission is another thing. You know, asking for guidance is, is totally cool. However, whatever input you get externally, if you don't have an inner guidance system to run it through to see if that's the best fit for you or to see if it needs to be tweaked in some way, you're in trouble because then you, then you disconnect from self. And, and what happens, what I have found is a lot of individuals, not just those struggling with eating difficulties, but across the board, spend so much time and energy trying to fit in and, and um, lose their connection with their self. And, and it's confusing because we're all born with a hung hunger to belong. But what happens is when you think that belonging is the same as fitting in, it can wreck a lot of havoc in your life. Because fitting in is when you try to look like, act like, think like, feel like how you think others want you to look and act and think and feel. So you, in an attempt to connect with others, you disconnect from true self. Belonging is when you stay connected to true self and you connect with another and so, you know, you know, looking outside of yourself for the answers, um, it's fine if you're gathering information and it's fine to go to experts that know more than you do about all kinds of stuff, but always bring it home. That distinction is going to stick with me forever because <laughs> it's sometimes it's, it, there's just such, there's a huge difference between, um, I have to act this way because I feel like if I don't, they won't like me, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then being yeah. in the presence of your tribe and being like, this is who I am. And I know they'll accept me regardless. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. so powerful. So mm -hmm. I want to just ask you, this is a, 
I'll try to not make it a broad question, but I just want to hear in your own words, because it's been a while since we've talked about body image on the podcast. It's mm-hmm. maybe even been a year. I mean, I've, I've taken a, a hiatus from this, and you're mm-hmm. just the perfect person to, to bring it back into the, mm-hmm. the conversation mm-hmm. on the show. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you, why do you feel so many women will just do everything within their power to avoid having body fat and having curves and having to, to having their natural body where outside of maybe the family aspect, um, socially speaking, well, in your words, wh- why do you mm-hmm. feel that this quest is just continuing to grow and grow and grow? And it's so mm-hmm. hard to disconnect from. Mm-hmm. Well, if you zoom the lens way, way out and look at the bigger picture and again, working with archetypes, uh, and I, I use an archetypal lens of um, the archetypes of the masculine and feminine principles. Now, this is a little confusing because it sounds like I'm talking about genders, but I'm not. Um, I'm talking about, again, energy constellations that live in our psyches regardless of gender, um, re- regardless with how you identify. We all have a part of us, and in... in um, See, in Asian cultures, they might call it yin and yang. I, I use the terms masculine and feminine because I come out of the Jungian tradition. And, they, and the Jungians work with a lot of dreams. And in dreams, the masculine energy shows up in the form of males. And the feminine energy shows up in the form of females. So it's a way of, of understanding, you know, what's going on in the psyche. But the masculine side of ourselves is that logical, linear, goal-achievement-oriented part of ourselves that likes to make lists and check things off and get things done and, and you know, is concerned about, you know, doing things on time and the right way and so on and so forth. And, and, and that's a valuable side of ourselves, right? I mean, uh, you're not going to get through school without that. Um, you're not going to get anything done without that, mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the feminine side, which is our more emotional, intuitive, instinctual, relational side of ourselves that is concerned about, you know, how things feel and, and in the present moment and um, can intuit uh, when things are not okay and and has a wide variety of emotions that are considered part of the part of the inner guidance system and and instinctual which is you know the messages from the body when to eat when to stop eating when to move when to rest when to go to the bathroom and so on so now if you can imagine and it's not going to take much of an imagination imagine we live in a culture that overvalues the masculine and undervalues the feminine, right? So we are encouraged to get as many letters after our names as we can, as much money in the bank and climb the corporate ladder and achieve this and accomplish this and get stuff done every day. And, and we, we you know, congratulate each other on how much stuff we get done. And, and it, but unfortunately, our culture devalues the feminine. So we're not taught to pay attention to the messages of our body and and even that we have this genius instinctual self um, that we can turn to for guidance um, instead we're supposed to go on diets and stuff like that that as though our body doesn't even know how to tell what it wants when it wants and, and how it wants it and and um, where emotions are treated as a weakness um, and and people that are emotional are accused continually of being too emotional or overreacting 
And intuitions, oh my gosh, th those are scoffed at. It's like, show me the facts. And if you can't show me the facts, then, then this doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so that we, we get all the facts that matter, but we don't get to the heart of the matter. So we live in a culture that overvalues the masculine and undervalues the feminine. Now, if you take it a step further, and if you look at what it means to be the embodiment of the feminine, which are females, then you can see how and why our culture values really a more masculine-shaped body. No curves, um, buns of steel, thigh gaps, hard muscles, um, you know, nothing that is soft or, or round or curvaceous. You can, you can see how easily that gets played out because we are also a very literal culture. And so what happens is everything gets literalized. And so then you think, okay, then, then I have to have a body that reflects these values of the culture. So we all kind of get trapped into that fairly unconsciously, and by unconscious, I mean out of our awareness. And uh, however, once you become conscious of that, that's your, that's your way out because mm -hmm. it, it can be a prison. Mm -hmm. For people who are so on board with this and they're like, I'm ready to accept my feminine, I want to have a life of more softness, which will include softness of my body and they're diving into self-care and self-love and all is well, and then the body fat begins, mm -hmm. and, and then their body starts changing, and, and they're holding on to the self-care rituals and remembering this is about changing the course of your future so you're no longer being chained to a meal plan, but the body fat, accepting the body, like feeling their body changing is so, so, so difficult. Is there yeah. a missing piece for a lot of people yeah, in that journey? Yeah, there is. Well, we've all been brainwashed, first of all, into thinking that the ideal body, the only body ideal is like a 20-year-old and that none of us are supposed to have our bodies change as we get older. Now, if you can step back, you can see that's absolutely ludicrous. And yet, um, the, the, the advertising industry is so powerful. Uh, we are so impacted by images unconsciously again. Images just go boom, right, direct into your psyche, that, that we constantly have to remind ourselves that these are lies that are being told to us because there's lots of people making money off of those lies. And so, you know, at that deep, at that, you know, bigger level, um, it, it does require significant consciousness and also understanding um, the language of metaphor, which is why, I, because that's the language of the advertising industry. That's where they're hitting at us. So you better darn well um, start to appreciate that we think in metaphor so that you can be aware of how it's being used against you. Can you like give us sinfully, an example? Well, sinfully delicious. You, uh, you, see, you, you see what I'm saying? It's like, mm -hmm. whoa, that if something is delicious and pleasurable, it's linked with sin because mm -hmm. it's linked with being fat. You know, it's like, um, and, and here's how it works in our brain. So not only do we have the cultural thing, but, okay, when we're little, um, our frontal lobes are not fully on board in our brains, okay? They don't even come on completely until we're in our mid-20s. 
Um, who knows this? <laughs> car rental companies, right? <laughs> you can't rent that car till you're 25 because they understand that the frontal lobes um, are, are the part of our brain that accesses cause and effect and can anticipate, you know, future events and, you know, the kinds of things that they would want from a driver. Um, who else knows this? Parents of teenagers. They, they reach into the fridge for, for milk and the carton is empty. Who puts a, a carton empty back in the fridge? Oh, teenagers, no frontal lobes, right? So here's how our and this is the case for all of us, how our minds work because of the structure of our brain when we are little. Our minds go like this. Bad things happen. I feel bad. I must be bad. Mommy and daddy got a divorce. It feels bad. It must be my fault. Now, when we get older and we revisit these stories we tell ourselves with the mind of a child, but now we have the mind of an adult and the brain of adult, we can process it differently and go, oh my gosh, there's a thousand one reasons why mom and dad got a divorce and none of them have anything to do with me. Now, again, using your imagination, imagine you live in a culture that says fat is bad. And we're, that's everywhere. No fat, non-fat, fat, fat, get rid of fat, 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 blah, blah, blah. So what happens is for young children is that these two words get linked so bad things happen I feel bad fat I am bad fat so really what people don't realize is when they focus on on um, criticizing their bodies for body fat that that you know is essential um, uh, but it gets our attention uh, maybe when our bodies are changing but but more importantly, it gets our attention when we're feeling bad about something. And so, you know, but we assume that that's what we're feeling bad about. Ah, okay. I can tell you a story that will help help you understand. Do you want a story? I want a story, please. Okay. <laughs> okay, here's a story. Now, I have to tell you and your listeners ahead of time, um, this is a horrible story. Um, and, and if it were a movie, I probably wouldn't go see it. But because it's a story, um, the listeners can adjust in their own mind um, however they want. But, it, but I think it's an important story for understanding body image. So once upon a time, there was this king who had gone away on a hunting expedition and had been gone for a very long time. However, it was a successful hunting expedition, so, so the hunting party came galloping into the, the courtyard of the castle, and, and they were greeted, as they always have been, by the king's closest companion, his best friend, his most loyal subject, the dog that he had raised from the time she was a puppy. But the dog started behaving strangely. It, it, it ran up towards the hunting party and then started snarling and barking and spinning around and running away. And then coming back and snarling and barking and spinning around and running away. And the king said, oh my gosh, I've been gone so long, my dog's gone mad. So he chased after the dog as it ran through the corridors of the castle. And then the dog stopped abruptly at the entrance to the nursery of the king's firstborn. Snarled, barked, spun around. And to his horror, the king saw the dog's muzzle was covered with blood. And when he stepped into the nursery, he saw the walls were splattered with blood. And there across the room was the infant's cradle overturned in horror at what his best friend had done. The king immediately pulled out his sword and plunged it into the dog's heart. 
And immediately thereafter, there was a cry, and he rushed across the room, and there, beneath the carcass of a dead wolf, was his infant child, totally unharmed. Ugh. Do you have a pit in your stomach right about now? Isn't this the most awful, awful story? Well, it's an awful story because um, um, there's a, it's important to understand what's going on here. So we all identify with the king, right? We've all said and done things. We go, ugh, why didn't I just push the pause button for a moment so I could see the truth of what was really going on? Now I said this thing that's, that's irreversible. I've, I've caused harm that's irrevocable. We've all done that at some point in life. So this teaching tale kind of brings that right to the surface. We identify with the king. But you see, all these fairy tales, the different characters, just like in dreams, they, diff they represent different aspects of our psyche. So who is the dog? The dog is our body, our mm. best friend, our most loyal companion that will be with us until the day we die and has been with us from the time we were born. Mm -hmm. and, and what happens is that um, when we think something's wrong, we immediately attack the body. We do it so quickly, we don't even recognize, we don't even push the pause button to see what's the real culprit here. And the wolf, who is the wolf? The wolf is our inner critic, right? And it hangs with a whole pack of media wolves, right? They, they all trying to get you to feel bad about the way you look. And if you have any fat on your body and blah, 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 blah. And the infant, the infant is the most precious aspect of our being. It's our, our soul self. It's the source of our creativity. It's the, course, it's the source of our uniqueness. And so you can see from this story that struggles with negative body image really are not about the body. The body takes the hit. But it's the inner critic that's, that, that is preying on this part of ourselves and it's important to understand that if you're trying to break free from negative body image whoa <laughs> that story um yeah that was powerful when you said it was gonna be horrible i was like oh, yeah. sure, it's gonna be bad yeah. but, and then yeah. you said there was a dog and i was like oh yeah. no anything but the yeah. dog yeah. but yeah. see but, it, but you see the compassion you feel for the mm -hmm. dog is what you ought to feel for your body i was just gonna say that yeah it's yeah. it's funny looking back looking back at that reaction because yeah. i was like oh my gosh i hope she doesn't say anything about the dog oh my god oh my god but then when we think about what we do to our body every single day yes. when we're in the stores of body image day. we never have any sympathy mm -hmm. for our bodies we're just exactly. like exactly yeah i'm gonna merciless punish, merciless punishment yeah i'm gonna punish and, my body and not even stopping to notice right before you went oh my god look at my thighs or my butt's too big or whatever what was going on in your mind right before that because that's where you're going to see the real issue there's something you were feeling bad about but rather than pushing the pause button and allowing yourself to feel maybe the discomfort of those feelings, boom, you go right to the body and attack the body and, and cut into the body, cutting remarks that the things that we say to ourselves, you know, we, they're things you would never say to anybody else that you care about and love and want to have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the metaphors that you have one of the myths, I should say, in uh, your book. I won't go too far into it, um, but about the log. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and not letting go of the log whenever you're trying to I, – yeah. I know I'm giving a little brief rundown. But my question in this is um, 
connected to this myth. So you can certainly share that if you'd like or summarize mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. for the sake of my question. But yeah. I'm, I'm curious about what are your thoughts then for people who are, are really wanting this, wanting to break through this, but they, mm -hmm. they don't want to be into a space of unsafety, being uncomfortable, right. yes, right. but not unsafety and, and what right. those initial right. steps are right. to healing right. the body and healing the relationship with food. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you that story because it's one I created when I remember I was working with a client and trying to help her understand um, not just the function of her uh, eating disorder, but also the path out. And so um, I just found myself telling her this. And so I'm going to share it with for you, with your, awesome. your listeners. You. So, um, and, and again, um, using the imagination. Imagination is a powerful tool here. So imagine, imagine you're on the banks of a raging river. It's pouring down rain. You slip and you fall in and you're drowning. You're getting pulled down through the rapids. And along comes a big log and you grab on and the log saves your life. It keeps your head above water when surely you would have drowned. And eventually it carries you to a place where the water is calm. And from there you can see the riverbanks, but you can't get there because of the log. You're holding on too tight to the log. You can't make it to shore. Now, I use this log as a metaphor for the struggle with eating or, or body image and eating difficulties. Um, it has served a function, a very important function, and it would behoove you to find out what that function is. Because to make things more complicated, there's always someone on the riverbank yelling, let go of the log, let go of the log. And you feel like an absolute idiot because you can't let go of the log. Well, what I believe is that letting go of the log may not be the very best thing to do initially. Because what happens if, you know, that person is the top expert in the country or the person who loves you more than life itself and you go, okay, 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 you let go of the log, start to swim to shore, get halfway there and realize, oh, shoot, I don't have the strength to make it. That means you don't have the strength to make it back to the log either and you're really sunk. So I believe we have a wise part of ourselves that will not, will not, let us let go of anything until we're good and ready. So what do you do instead? Well, let go of the log and try floating. And as soon as you start to sink, grab back on. Then let go of the log and, and try treading water. And when you get tired, grab back on. And then you let go of the log and you swim around at once, grab back on. Twice, grab back on. Ten times, a hundred times, two hundred times. Whatever it takes for you to have the strength and confidence to make it to shore. Then you let go of the log. It has no function any longer. You, you basically put it out of a job. And so with this metaphor, I'm introducing a couple of concepts. One, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You're not damaged goods. Um, however, you have learned to hold on to this, your log, whatever that log may happen to be for you, because it helped you stay afloat in some pretty turbulent emotional waters when you didn't have anything else to grab onto, which is not a bad thing to do. However, it's now getting in the way of you getting where you want to go in life. And so what that means is in order to let go, you need a, you need a number of skills that you need to develop. And, and so um, um, oftentimes those skills are things like emotional literacy, learning how to be with your emotions, um, assertive communication, how to identify, accept, and express your feelings in a way that is respectful towards mm -hmm. your feelings and the feelings of another person. 
Mm -hmm. um, setting boundaries so that you can keep yourself safe, say, you know, by saying no to what you don't want as well as yes to what you do want. So that there, that when you can recognize the function that 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 log has served for you, that's going to point you in the direction of what the skills are you need to replace that function. I feel like that right there is such a crucial thing for everyone to marinate on and absorb and actually sit down and think about for in your life, what is that log? What is the yeah. log in your life? Yeah. And, yeah. and what are you going to be going back to? And, and knowing that, like you said, um, you're not broken. You don't need right. fixing. You're, right. you're, you're perfect as you are. Perfectly right. imperfect. Um, yep. But getting some clarity there. It's easy to listen to a podcast interview and then move along with your day. I think this is a beautiful exercise to know, okay, if you're in this terribly up and down and around and around kind of process right now, what kind of clarity can you gain? Mm -hmm. Such as mm -hmm. what is your log? And then what are these... Yeah. Um, what would you call them? What are these skills that you want to yes. create? And I love what you were saying about communication and learning mm -hmm. how to voice mm -hmm. your needs because in, in the, in the patriarchy in our society, mm -hmm. a lot of women have been shut up, so to say, mm -hmm. and, and we yes. have lost our voices. And I think yep. learning yep. how to speak your truth, not only will get rid of a lot of sore throats, but will help you yeah. to, to create yeah. those boundaries and to, yeah. to connect with people and to connect with yourself. Yeah, and I think learning to speak your truth in a way that is kind is important. Um, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of women think, oh, I can't say that, that'll hurt their feelings or that'll be mean or whatever. And, and so there is a way, and frankly, in the 35 years I've been working in this field, I've seen thousands and thousands of people break free from whatever their eating difficulty is, but I've never seen anyone do it without the skill of assertive communication, which is um, this ability to um, um, identify, accept, and express your feelings in the kindest way possible, in a way that honors your experience and honors the experience of others in your life. Um, this is a key key. This is so critical. Um, going back to the masculine and the feminine, this is how you bring it together because your feminine helps you access your deepest emotions. Your masculine helps you take them safely out into the world. That's a great distinction. So when you're saying kindness, you want to, to set your boundaries with kindness. Uh, yes, I don't mean nice. <laughs> so can you can you give us okay. an example? Yeah. Like let's say that there's yeah. a family member that every time a grandma comes around, she always com comments on the body, on your body mm -hmm. changing, and mm -hmm. you really want to set a boundary to say, grandma, yeah. like this isn't cool. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling that a lot of people would yeah. be confused on what yeah. – a lot of people pleasers would be confused yeah. on what's kind yeah. – and what's just normal and what's what's okay. just healthy and what's not kind? Well, I think something you can say is, you know what, Grandma, I know that you really care about me and that you have my best interests at heart when you make comments about my body. But right now, I'm really trying to clear any negative thoughts about my body and my mind. And so even though you're trying to be helpful, what you're saying isn't helpful. What would really help me is that if that, you know, you don't say anything about the way my body looks, but maybe you can talk about, you know, what I can do with my body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You see, it's a limit. It's a clear mm -hmm. limit. And then, if, and then uh, what, what happens though, when you set boundaries, remember, you know, people have their patterns, especially grandmas, you know, they've been set for a <laughs> yeah. long time. So to think that they're going to change just because you said something, here's the deal. Um, Asserting yourself 
the goal of assertiveness is not to get the other person to change their behavior, yes. their attitude, their thoughts. The purpose is so that you don't internalize the negativity mm -hmm. and the judgment. That's the goal, and that you're perfectly capable of achieving. So then grandma again will say something, oh, looks like you put on a few pounds here, sissy, or whatever. And you can say, grandma, remember what I told you? Uh, um, it's really not helpful for me when you make comments about the way my body looks. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm so glad that you said that. It's so important to understand that when you're speaking your truth, it is not to get the exact result you're speaking no, of. No, no. Your uh -huh. odds aren't too hot. I mean, maybe 50-50. You know, you, know, you, you know, that's like not fabulous. However, your odds are fantastic if your goal is to clean up your own internal language. Stop being mean to yourself. Uh, and so that you're, not, you're not, no longer absorbing other people's judgments or criticisms. So the very last thing I want, I really would kick myself in the butt if I didn't bring this up, but I, I was trying to think, <laughs> okay. kick myself in the butt, what's the phrase? Okay, um, but I have to ask you about women with disordered eating and who have a low, um, or I'll say it, I'll say it a different way, women who have disordered eating and who also really struggle with their sexuality. Oh, and with yeah. feeling free in the bedroom. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. We talked about the feminine uh, principle being devalued. Uh, and um, we live in a culture uh, that is terrified of the instinctual part of the feminine, instinctual sexuality. Everyone is afraid of it. We've got religions that are afraid of it. We have governments that are afraid of it. Men are afraid of it. Women are afraid of it. Everybody's afraid of it because it's such a powerful force. And we, um, uh, women are, are no longer, it, what, it did happen in ancient times in indigenous cultures where women were coached and trained in the ways of pleasure and that pleasure was not considered a bad thing, certainly not sexual pleasure. But that's not the world we live in today. And so this is a kind of hunger, it's an appetite, if you will, that um, um, can be very frightening, uh, especially if you're someone who's been sexually abused or um, have uh, had the experience of predators in your life, unwanted sexual advances. So the thing that women are taught is how to shut that down. And one of the ways they do it is by food restriction and food obsession because um, that will shut it down, at least in terms of your awareness of it. And so the two are entangled um, um, profoundly, actually. And so a lot of times, just thoughts about food, thoughts about body size are, are, are ways of avoiding um, feeling horny, <laughs> feeling uh, pleasure or being okay with what it means to be in the body of a woman and what it means to be a sexual being. And, and, and so again, because we're not even taught how to, to work with these energies, you know, there's lots of ways to experience your sexuality that, that don't even have to do with acting out your sexuality. Um, but we don't even get to go there. So um, we don't have the, the teachers, um, uh, we don't have the tribe that can support us in that. And, and so we're left to our own devices as best we can. Um, I, I've 
one of the things that's really helped me a lot is uh, women's circle. So I've been a part of a women's circle that met every new moon for 20 years, 25 years. Um, and it was a place that we, that, you know, anything went, you know, we would, there was, there was no, it wasn't a place to get advice. It was just a place to support each other. And, and because we've been doing it every new moon, um, we've been through births and deaths and divorces and all kinds of sexual issues and infertility and whatever. And there's, there's power in that. There's power in women discovering one, they're not alone Two, they're not weird Three, that there's great diversity in women's sexual appetites and it's not, and none of it's bad. And that there's a whole range of sexual expression um, uh, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are so speaking my language right now. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I would say more of just things that are so healthy to hear. It's, it's so mm -hmm. refreshing. I, I was raised in a very religious household that sex was mm -hmm. like, no, 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 unless you're married. Mm -hmm. I went through yeah. the, and, I, and I'm not saying any of this is, is wrong for everyone. For me, it stifled a lot of that creative essence and I mean, hello, eating disorders. Um, so for me, there's a very clear correlation there. Yeah. Um, I had, well, yeah, just so much shame carrying mm -hmm. around that and and moving through oh go ahead well you mentioned creativity if you think of it the sexual impulse is the most profoundly creative impulse there is mm. the capacity to create life itself yeah oh wow yeah because it mm -hmm. is i mean every single time we create whether whether we're creating a walk we're going out for a walk or we're creating a dance at night or we are creating a piece of art or a vision board or sex. Anytime mm -hmm. we are creating, we are mm -hmm. expressing. And that mm -hmm. is a very potent way to feel your connection with the divine is doing what the mm -hmm. divine does best, mm -hmm. which is c create. And if we are so busy being chained to a meal plan or chained to a treadmill that oh, we have no yeah. presence in mm -hmm. the creation process, mm -hmm. our spirituality mm -hmm. is stifled because we are not feeling related to the divine through creation and and our sexuality is repressed because we are not again experiencing creativity and mm -hmm. one of the most powerful ways to do so mm -hmm. that's right and with ourselves yeah, and our own body our yeah. own sexuality with our own yeah. body i know there's a lot of shame and a lot of cultures around that mm -hmm. yeah and that's the tragedy of the patriarchy in a lot of ways because it does stifle that creativity comes with the with the merger, the divine marriage of the masculine and feminine principles. And so when you have things that are out of balance, where it's all about doing and getting stuff done, there isn't room for creative musings where the create creativity does not come out of status quo. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah. That's a good quote. Um, <laughs> Geez, I'm so glad I asked you about thank you. Do you. Before we go to the quick fire round, do you have any last thing you want to share about maybe um, the patriarchy or the, the relationship between sexuality and disordered eating or just anything in general that you didn't get to touch on? Well, I think what's important is, is consciousness um, is, is really what trumps everything, that you can be in the most difficult situation, um, be facing hardships or in internal conflicts or whatever but as you become conscious as you become aware of that um that's that's your your ticket out that's your your ticket out of the um the feelings of being entrapped or imprisonment and and it's inside of you mm -hmm. waking up and being conscious and mm -hmm. it's already there 
It's mm-hmm. not external. It's not outside of you. Right. You don't have to hire anyone to access it or read a million books. While those things can help you touch base with it, it is still mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Beautiful reminder. Thank you. So we have got a divine deep dive round. And before we do head there, I want to ask you one last question. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a free gift for everyone, right? <laughs> Yes, I have a um, uh, food and metaphor guide. So if you're struggling with any kind of eating difficulty, you can crack the code and find out what the those um, foods might mean for you. And it's a simple code like uh, sweet foods often have to do with like not enough sweetness in your life or thinking you're not sweet enough. And crunchy, salty foods are, are typically connected to unexpressed anger and frustration and warm foods, soups and stews and, and um, spicy foods to uh, either a fear of or a craving for excitement, stimulation and change and chocolate. <laughs> sex romance and sensuality Heck yeah and so um you know you don't have to scribble all this down you can go to lightofthemooncafe.com forward slash mbm as in mind body musings <laughs> and you can download um a pdf that has this um this code spelled out if, if it's something that you want to play with and see if you can use this way of uh, looking at your struggle to find some answers for yourself. Brilliant. I will have that link on the show notes for this episode, which is number 198. And Ooh, I like that. Yeah, it's a good number. 198. Yeah. And I will be downloading that right after this because this is just so fascinating to me. Um, so yeah, thank have- you. I have more uh, metaphors and stories on my website, which is dranitajohnston.com. Perfect. And I will have those links on there as well. Okay. Divine deep dive round. Question number one. If you could live anywhere in the world besides where you currently live, where would it be? You're asking me that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it, it wouldn't be a location. It's a, it's a state of being. Hmm. And that state of being is peace and joy. Currently, what's your favorite meal? Oh, my. It changes all the time. But let me see. Right now, in this moment, uh, it's Kelleguin, which is a dish. For, I'm from Guam, and it's a Chamorro dish made out of um, lime juice and, or lemon juice, freshly shredded coconut and um, chopped up chicken and green onions and it's to die for I just got like goosebumps because that sounds so good Um, okay what edge are you on in life maybe like a tipping point or transition where are you changing in life right now I feel like right now my work is going more and more international and so I'm, I'm feeling like things are just really broadening. I have an online course, Light in the Moon Cafe, and we this go around. We have people from Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Switzerland, Costa Rica, um, Dubai, um, the UK, and across the US, and it blows my mind. So that's what I feel like. I'm just like uh, on the edge of, of something. I don't know. There's something global going on. Mm-hmm. Ooh, exciting. Love it. Mm-hmm. What is one must-read book? Um, what is one that I just read? 
Um, I would say there's a new one by Jean Shinoda Bolin that just came out called Crohn's Don't Whine. And she's this expert in the feminine principle. And she introduced me to, uh, I read her book, Goddesses and Every Woman, about 30 years ago. And it's still pertinent to this day. Mm. So Goddesses and Every Woman would be, you know, fabulous. And her newest is Crohn's Don't Whine. I'm excited to get that. I have never heard of that. Um, oh, was, yeah. it'll blow the top of your head off. <laughs> <laughs> You'll love it. Oh, that sounds mm-hmm. exciting. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. going to get that. I'm really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, if love tasted like a flavor, what would it be and why? Rose sorbet. Oh. Um, it's something I make. <laughs> from the, I, I, I grow roses that I can make sorbet. And to me, when, when that explodes in my mouth, it feels like love. Wow. I have never heard of rose sorbet, Mm -hmm. and I had no idea you could even use real roses to create that. Yes, I have edible flower gardens. I know every flower you can eat. You are such a fascinating person. I just want to be a fly on the wall in your life. (laughs) Um, What is your spirit animal? I think it's a dolphin. You know, I'm an island girl, uh, so I really connect with... uh, you know, it's, if it's not a dolphin, it's a mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> what is your mantra right now? Hmm. My mantra is, um, in the end, everything will be all right. If it's not all right, it's not the end. Oh, Wow. <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. new to my life. I've never heard yeah. that before. Okay, last question. Mm-hmm. If you had a talk show, what would you name it? I would name it Light of the Moon. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, I was like, I bet that's coming. Can't help myself. Yeah. And it's so perfect for everything you, you dive into and share. Um, geez. Thank you so much for coming on this show. Like this was just such a refreshing episode for me. And um, it just felt you're just such a beautiful speaker. I know you've been doing this for a long time. It's I'm just feeling really grateful right now for your wisdom and for sharing it with everyone and for being just this vessel of so much wisdom, the metaphors, the myths, like you're carrying all of that with you and sharing it and expressing it. And that's what the world needs. So thank you for coming on the show and and sharing that with us today. Thank you for for having me. It's been such a pleasure. And you're a great vehicle for taking it out into the world, right? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Everyone, remember, you can get those links. You absolutely can get the link to get the free guide that she shared today. That will be on the show notes for this episode 198. I hope you loved this. I know so many of you guys found the podcast through the conversation of body image and food freedom. So I hope this was a really nice welcome home, so to say, back to that really profound and ever so important conversation. Thanks, guys, for listening. You can leave a review on the iTunes show if you want to share your thoughts, and I'll see you soon. 